Hey girl. You're listening to the Cinephilia Podcast. With your hosts, Michael Gaddy and Trevor Macid. Mmm, Cinephilia. But we love movies so much it should be illegal. Hello and welcome to Cinephilia Podcast. My name is Michael Gaddy. My name is Trevor. <laughs> My name is Jeff. Uh, oh, yeah. I like how you had to point to me to tell me to yeah, start speaking. Because we've had uh, issues. Issues, yeah. yeah. That, that'll be the word I use. Um, I feel like it's been a while since we've recorded, but it's only been a week. Yeah, and in that time we released two episodes. Yeah, two. Uh, so check those out. Last week, Trevor, Trevor's brother um, was with us. And so we skipped over the homework from the episode before, and then we also had a bonus episode talking about everything, everywhere, all at once. And so now, finally, three episodes later, we have we're going to be talking about um, uh, the Royal Tenenbaums. The Royal Tenenbaums. <laughs> I knew it started with an R. Uh, but first, let's talk about these previous three episodes. Um, we, if you remember back when we were talking about Once Upon a Time in the West. We uh, talked about that scene that we said was probably problematic where he rips off the frills from her dress and then he's like keeping her down. And then uh, in that scene, he asks for water from the well and um, it seems that he has a plan. So ripping off the frills, there was a point to it. I don't entirely understand what the point was, but the scene does end with him killing those two men. Um, so yeah, he had some kind of a plan. And then... Uh, that doesn't make it okay though. Yeah, and I... No, I, I agree. <clears throat> uh, I did tweet the podcast. Uh, I guess we did since it was from our our Twitter account. Uh, the podcast unspooled because they they talk about movies and like the best movies ever because they started off with the AFI top one hundred list. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Hey, you guys should do Once Upon a Time in the West." And one of the co hosts liked that tweet. And uh, it's a, a man and a woman doing that. So I would be curious to see what they would say about scenes like that. So her uh, name is Amy Nicholson. And she has this really cool three-part podcast where she interviews um, Quentin Tarantino. Oh, cool. And going through his history, but also talking about five movies that he put at the New Beverly. He programmed at the New Beverly uh, to kind of like gauge him as a person and as a film viewer and filmmaker by... The, the movies he chose to to show there at the theater so uh i don't remember what the name of it is though <laughs> maybe uh i'll Sorry, tweet that Amy. out or uh but yeah i highly recommend that one and then oh yeah going through the movie through once upon a time in the west just kept reminding me of how great that movie is and he says an ancient race at the end and it's uh kind of harmonica saying yeah me too i know what you mean yeah and my i totally forgot this but my girlfriend keeps kept reminding me that her grandpa was room my girlfriend's grandpa was roommates with charles bronson and lee marvin so there's a connection there wow and uh, we kept talking we keep talking about how no country for old men's a western no it's not a western there's an actual term for a western that takes place around modern time it's called a neo-western mm-hmm. so okay that's what it is and uh i want to talk a little bit about oscar's opinion on everything everywhere all at once we didn't talk about how the whole movie kind of takes place in an IRS building. Well, most of the movie takes place in an IRS building, um, which is very interesting. I didn't notice the f- different frame rate going on in the background when they're, when he's the Waymond and um, Michelle Yeoh's character, 
they're in the where she's a movie star universe and i guess the background characters were moving slower than wayman was so which is a really interesting point i didn't i didn't remember that and uh i forgot to mention in the actual podcast that michelle yo's uh, when it shows her different memories of her being a movie star, you see actual premieres she went to, Michelle Yeoh, inc- including Crazy Rich Asi- Asians. And uh, I didn't notice that there's a raccoon in every universe. So I thought that was very cool that he pointed those out. Yes. Um, Oscar, thank you very much. That was a very well um, said and very well thought out. Yeah. So we appreciate it. And he's like starting. I think he's listening to the episode like right now because he's texting us all these different things he's that That's, we've said. Yeah. So uh, we'll have him as a guest possibly next episode. Possibly, we'll try. Yeah, he's definitely one that we're eager to hear his top ten list because mm-hmm. he has a lot of love and a lot of knowledge about film and film history. We all went to film school together, mm-hmm. I guess. I guess we shouldn't ruin that, but uh, that's a common thread, and I'm very interested to hear what his top tens are. I also feel like his list, I mean, we can save a lot of this conversation for when he's here, but I feel like his top ten list might be a little more unique than the three of us, because you and Tyler had a very similar list, Mm -hmm. which makes sense because you're brothers, and you had the same upbringing. Um, So, yeah, I'm interested to see him and hear him, and uh, yeah, Oscar. (laughs) anyways smooth transition into what the actual movie is where you said the royal tenenbaums before that let's uh can we read that review oh yeah we have a review a very sweet review from magno appreciate it you taking the time to leave us one agreed on apple Podcasts. yes this is on apple podcast the headline looks like it says sexiest movie podcast on earth their taste that has to be accurate yeah (laughs) So far, we have six ratings, and they're all five out of five. So thank you, six people who have rated us, and thank you for the five out of five. Uh, Darth Magnus says, The taste in film is very close to mine, so it's exquisite. Congrats, boys. If you love movies and super sexy intros, he'll love this podcast. As Trevor says, it's incredible. Thank you again, Magno. Uh, Not only was that... Yeah, it's (laughs) very... Obviously incredible. Obviously. Um, And I guess a reminder, because we haven't really said this, but if you are listening to this and you haven't given us a five-star rating, we'd really appreciate it. We don't get anything out of it other than just internal joy. I think it's like likes and subscribes where like the more, the higher the rating, the more ratings you get, the higher up on the suggested list it'll be. Yeah, definitely. So So, um, we definitely would like to reach a wider audience. So um, if you guys can... If you have the time, please give us a five-star review. Yeah. That's my plead for the day. I don't want to talk real quick about TikTok because uh, I posted one place beyond the pines TikTok like a week or two ago, and it's got 166 views as of today. So I'm like, eh, well, I guess the uh, popularity of that one TikTok that's now at 70,000, that was just a fluke. But then I posted... I uploaded four yesterday, but scheduled two others to come out later. I meant for all three. I meant for one to come out yesterday, one today, one tomorrow, one one the next day. But now three of them are up, and the one I posted yesterday, one of them has uh, 1,140 views, so that's very cool. But then the one with AJ rapping has only <laughs> 92 views. 
No uh, surprise there. And another one I put that went up this morning at 10 a.m. already has 252 views. So I don't understand TikTok. There's, there's no rhyme or reason. Yeah. Yeah. So on to the real reason why we're here. You've while all been the, waiting for. Yeah, for while weeks. the audience is here. We're going to be discussing the Royal Tenenbaums, as Alec Baldwin would pronounce it. <laughs> Royal Tenenbaums. Baums. Yeah, I kept pronouncing it weird, and I was like, I always that's spelt Tenenbaums. Bombs. Yeah, it's Baums. Yeah. Um, the Royal Tenenbaums was written by Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson. I didn't know that, that he helped oh. write it. Uh, obviously directed by Wes Anderson. Obviously. Uh, the film received a limited release in the united states on december 14th 2001 and then a wide release on january 4th 2002 on rotten tomatoes the film currently holds an approval rating of 80 percent based on 210 reviews that seems kind of low 210 yeah Yeah. well it was 20 years ago yeah and an average rating of 7.51 out of 10 they went with the trevor rating there very precise (laughs) 7.51 um in 2008, a poll taken by Empire Magazine ranked the Royal Tenenbaums as the 159th greatest film ever made. Wow. And a 2016 poll of international critics assembling BBC's 100 greatest films of the 21st century also voted it as one of the 100 greatest motion pictures since 2000. Uh, the budget was $21 million, most of that I'm imagining spent on the cast, and the box office gross was $71 million worldwide. So, pretty good investment. Yeah. Um, Which is why he got to make movies after that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Getty is going to grace us with his take on the synopsis. I think I kind of have this a little bit out of order. I do like the idea of when movie podcasts talk about the year, so you can kind of get a grasp of what else is surrounding this movie to see it in context. Uh, so other movies that came out that year were uh, in 2001. Uh, we have Ocean's Eleven, Shrek, Monsters, Inc., uh, Fellowship of the Rings, or The Ring, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, The Best Picture Winner, A Beautiful Mind, Memento, which is one of my favorites, Moulin Rouge, and a couple other of my uh, favorites that we'll probably eventually get to, Ghost World and Hedwig and the Angry Inch. So, Those are some of your favorite movies? Well, the f- most of this list are just the popular movies of the year. Mm-hmm. Those last few are some of my favorites. Wow. Uh, as far as music... <laughs> coming out that year i'm real by jennifer lopez drops by uh, drops of juniper by train all for you by janet jackson yes fallen by alicia keys and hanging by a moment by lifehouse was the number one song of 2001 i don't even know what song that is if you heard it you would know probably yeah it was one of those bands that was trying to be... Um, Creed? Yeah, basically. Okay, so they suck. And of course, you know, 2001 is probably one of the most... One of the biggest events in American history. Obviously, September 11th happened. The War on Terror began, and George Bush became president earlier in that year and became infamous because of what happened that year. Yes. So it was a dark time. So basically, what I'm getting to is people needed fun, lighthearted movies like this. And this is not one of them. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into we'll talk, that. Yeah, I'll talk more about that. But uh, my description of it is, a dysfunctional family of hipsters are dysfunctional because their patriarch is a selfish asshole who doesn't know how to father. Okay. <laughs> you can see why the... Um, 
the PR gang didn't uh, go with that one to describe their movie to people. <laughs> well, it's better than saying that uh, a super buff dude <laughs> <laughs> with a wonderful mustache. With a wonderful mustache. Yes. <laughs> um. All right, let's get into it. So um, we open with a terrific narration by Alec Baldwin that's done throughout the movie. I think he does a great job in setting the mood. Um, basically introducing us to the family Tannenbaum and its children. We learn that Royal Tannenbaum, the father, uh, played by Gene Hackman, and Ethelene, the mother, played by Angelica Houston, are uh, getting a divorce. Uh, I guess we can talk more about the themes and the way that it's shot, but the way that it's conveyed in the movie is like done really well. And then we're introduced to the kids, the family Tenenbaum. So we have Chaz, who's an extremely serious expert business and finance man who became successful at the age of 10 by selling Dalmatian mice. Uh, a little bit of trivia for that. The mice were just marked with Sharpie. Mm. I don't know if that would be considered <laughs> animal cruelty. Hopefully it washes off, but... Um, Sharpie. <laughs> yeah. And then there's Margot, uh, a play, a playwright who won a $50,000 grant for a play she wrote when she was in the fifth grade. Uh, Richie, the tennis prodigy who went pro at an early age. He's also an amateur painter who almost exclusively paints portraits of his sister, Margot. And then Eli Cash, a childhood best friend of Richie who lives across the street from the Tenenbaums and is a normal fixture at the household. This this or Wes Anderson is my introduction to the Criterion Collection because I got uh, um, Life Aquatic mm. back when it first came out at the warehouse. No, it was Fye, but it used to be the warehouse, and it said Criterion Collection on top. And I was like, Criterion Collection? What what's that? And uh, then once I met you, you ex- you explained further what it is, which I guess I'll. You can explain what it is since it's... Uh... Yeah, uh, we probably talked about it a lot, and mm-hmm. if no one actually knows what it is, the Criterion Collection is basically a, a collective of people who, um, I would call them cinephiles, people who love movies, um, and they choose movies that are... I, honestly, I don't know what the basis is of choosing their movies, um, but even back in the days of like laser disc, if anybody remembers what a laser disc is, it's basically like a giant CD. giant CD. Basically, it's a group of people who choose movies based on cultural or artistic merits and basically transfer these movies from their original, you know, what camera negatives or whatever and uh, do it very, very carefully as far as quality goes. So if you're getting a Criterion version of a movie, you know that that's the best, absolute best quality because they take such care in um, transferring their movies from, you know, whether it be film or digital onto the digital home video media. And also they usually have the best special features. You know, sometimes you get a DVD and people don't care about them and there's only like one is like a trailer or something for the yeah. movie especially recently yeah then there are a few like gaddy and myself and probably some of the people that listen to this podcast who enjoy a lot of special features whether it be a director's commentary deleted scenes um documentaries documentaries making of different cuts oh yeah that's always a big one so i guess for all intents and purposes, a Criterion version is um, the best version of the movie that you're going to get. Yeah. Um, there's. In, I was going to say, in their words on the back of every uh, Criterion 
Uh, it says, the Criterion Collection is dedicated to gathering the greatest films from around the world and publishing them in editions of the highest technical quality and with supplemental features that enhance the application of the art of film. So. Exactly. So basically what I said, but said much more... Uh, eloquently. Yes. Very Efficiently. Eloquently. <laughs> but I liked everything you said, so... So um, basically what we're saying is, uh, Criterion, please sponsor us. Yes. This is my seventh call for them to sponsor us we haven't heard anything yet but i'm yeah. you know i'm waiting by the phone and there's also other boutique blu-ray companies yeah like there are other arrow. niche ones arrow and then kino yeah um, kino what is it lumber but kl classic studios i actually just bought three movies from them today i got uh, the apartment some like it hot because i'm a billy wilder fan and uh, uh touch of evil i also got robocop finally Oh, nice. Yeah, which, on a random tangent, I thought I had enough money for the week to get it from Amazon a couple weeks ago, and it was going to come out, like, the first. It was going to be delivered on the first, and I realized, oh, I don't have enough money. I don't have the $37 for it, so I canceled it, and then I went back yesterday and looked, and they didn't have it anymore, except for, like, some people were selling it for, like, 70 bucks. I was like, son of a bitch. So I uh, went on to the actual website and uh, actually came back today saying, oh, we do have it for like $45, but it's not going to show up until June. So I just went to their actual website and bought it for like 50 and now I'm pissed at myself. You're waiting? Yep. Okay. Should we get back to the movie now? Um, Off that wild tangent. <laughs> well, I did, want to, I did ask you uh, or mention the idea of bringing up our top three favorite Wes Anderson films. Mm-hmm. Um, Should we do that at the end instead of in the middle of my scene-by-scene analysis? (laughs) Well, now that we've already gone on these tangents, we might as well say it. Oh, Christ. Okay. No one's going to remember what the beginning of the movie is. Okay, whatever. It's fine. fine. I still haven't even really talked about the prologue itself. Okay, great. We can go into depth Um, about the prologue. So, top three Wes Anderson movies. Um, Royal Tannenbaums is definitely number one. Um, And then... Between Isle of Dogs and Grand Budapest Hotel, they're very close to each other, but I think I would put Grand Budapest above uh, Isle of Dogs. All right. Uh, before this movie, I had only seen four, and I made my top three based on the four I'd already seen. Mm-hmm. So my number one by far is Grand Budapest Hotel. I'll, I'll say it now. I still think that's better than this movie. Um, oh, okay. And uh, number two is Isle of Dogs. Number three was Life Aquatic. Will this movie be my top three? We'll find out at the end if you remember to to ask me. <laughs> I'll try. Yeah. This is why we should have done it at the end and not at the very beginning. But that's okay. Well, if we went... Anyways, we're just going to argue. Yes. Uh, <laughs> A lot of tension here today. Yeah, this is only his second of ten movies, right? Uh, third, I think. Third. Right? Yeah, Bottle Rocket. And oh, yeah, Rushmore. yeah, Rushmore. And then this. I like how the movie opens with a book. Mm-hmm. Kind of like... A Disney movie, but then the whole movie is formatted in a book. There's the prologue and then chapters and mm-hmm. then the epilogue. Um, and basically, you've just talked about the, the prologue. So I did actually write them down in that format and the uh, dividing them up by that. Um, and I also wrote down the songs as I was going through. It's um, a very good soundtrack. Yeah, I, I feel like we've mentioned great songs in the movies we've watched we've and we've mentioned great soundtracks but i've never i feel like we've never really like really talked about the soundtrack and since it's been a while since i've seen this movie i'm probably gonna forget most of the songs mm-hmm. <laughs> once i read them out loud uh the prologue has hey jude a version of hey jude playing mm-hmm. um i do want to say that i do love life aquatics 
sound or soundtrack because it's just French acoustic covers of David Bowie. Mm-hmm. So that one's fun. But back to this movie, um, I think that young Margot does look like a young Gwyneth Paltrow, but she doesn't look like Gwyneth Paltrow now. Oh yeah, I actually looked at her <laughs> and she looks completely different. And you know, divorce is. I just says, oh, I think I'm just keeping notes. Divorce and books. And they have a press conference, and um, I mentioned this with everything, everywhere, all at once. That the movie starts off very fast pace and then it settles. Mm-hmm. And I like that with prologues for movies like I mentioned, Raising Arizona has that. Uh, I think like Hot Fuzz has a very fast pace intro until it finally settles down. We find out that Marco's adopted. I don't know if you mentioned that in there. I uh, yeah, I didn't. Um, but we kind of start to see Royals like disdain, disdain, or the fact that he's like oblivious to the fact that what he's saying could yeah. hurt her. Because I don't think he's being malicious, but he is a dick, like mm-hmm. overall. So, yeah, he mentions it at every chance he gets. This yeah. is my adopted daughter. Right. Daughter, Margot Tenenbaum was adopted at age two. Her father had always noted this when introducing her. This is my adopted daughter, Margot Tenenbaum. And I, know, I noticed when young Chaz, because you know, of course, I noticed the the important things. Takes in a those. drink. He takes a drink, but he's not actually yeah. taking any. It's like the smallest <laughs> sip in the world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't even think it touched his lips. Um, but I do want to say that I immediately love Gene Hackman in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like as soon as you see him, it's just like, man, I need to watch more Gene Hackman movies. And I've seen quite a few. Uh, the movies he's been in: uh, Bonnie and Clyde, French Connection, Night Moves, the Superman movies, Unforgiven, and The Quick and the Dead. Out of those, I've only I haven't seen The Quick and the Dead. And this is just after he was in The Replacements, The Mexican, and Heartbreakers, and right before uh, Behind Enemy Lines, which doesn't that have Owen Wilson in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so there's a connection there. Um, but yeah, two, uh, no. So those three of those four movies I just mentioned were all 2001. So he had a great 2001. Yeah, and he's surprisingly still with us. He's 92 years old. He wow. has, hasn't acted since 2004. But uh, yeah, we've got a little trivia about that. We'll go okay. over. Yeah, later. yeah. I won't. I won't try to spoil any of that. And uh, I do love how he's unapologetically shallow. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then there's Angelica Houston in the movie because we don't get to most of our leads at the prologue until because they grow up um she's still very active she's in a lot of stuff i probably know her best from the adams family movies and from captain eo captain eo where she plays the supreme leader uh hold on if anybody is not familiar with what captain eo is basically it was a 3d um attraction at disneyland and disney world and have, yeah we, i we think, think there's quite a few um i think it was like pretty much in every disneyland version there was or the resorts at least until recently so essentially what it was was uh, a 70 millimeter 3d um short film directed by francis ford coppola produced by george lucas and maybe steven spielberg no just george lucas Lucas. um 17 million 17 million dollar budget for a 17 million dollar uh short film at the time i think it was was the most what did i say you said 17 million dollar for 17 million Oh, $17 million for a 17-minute short. Um, at the time, I think it was the most expensive thing like ever shot. Yeah, mi- per minute. Yeah. So, which is like, I guess, nothing now, because if you think about a two-hour movie, is 120 minutes. Yeah. Anyways, um, so it's a 70-millimeter 3D uh, attraction that you would go and sit down in a movie theater in, and, and uh, Michael Jackson plays a space captain, the most believable space captain <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. Hold 
we won't go into the synopsis of it, but basically it's just a, a chance it, for Michael to sing and dance in it's 3D. It's all over YouTube. Yeah, it's amazing. Even 3D versions. Um, and they took it away for a long time, and then after he died, they brought it back, mm-hmm. and I remember seeing it like, every chance I got when we would go to Disneyland. I got to go to a special screening of it when they were testing it when out. Michael Jackson came out on the screen. <laughs> he actually came out. No, this is after he passed, um, so they were bringing it back, and I, I won't say how, but I was able to go to a... Like, they were testing it, because between Captain EO, and, uh, the original Captain EO Legacy, or whatever they called the, the newer version... They put in Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, and in that, the whole room moves. Oh, yeah, so the like audience 4D moves. or whatever. Yeah, so they went, well, we'll just use the floor to, to be part of it. So they needed to weigh people, so they needed to fill it with people. And I was able to get in, and they were doing it during the day while the park guests were there. And there was one guy who knew about it, but he wasn't able to get in because he was wearing his Thriller Letterman, Letterman jacket. And you could see him through the doors, like, peeking in, like, hoping to get in. It was like... It was like a dog out in the rain, like, and we were just like, "Let him in, let him go," and they wanted to, and the cl- doors close on him, like the end of the Godfather, and I'm just like, "Very sad, this poor man." But uh, yeah, so I got to do that. But yeah, uh, the whole point of Toilet Story was the thriller guy, and Angelica Houston's been in five of Wes Anderson's movies, and uh, she was. There's also a 21 year difference between her and Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman is 21 years older. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So onto the opening credits and we get it to her chapter one i guess chapter one um so basically we flash forward 22 years and we're reintroduced to all of the children who are now adults obviously Chaz is played by ben stiller uh eli is played by owen wilson richie tannenbaum is played by luke wilson and Margot is played by gwyneth paltrow sorry almost forgot her name from goop from goop so essentially uh royal has been living in a hotel since he abandoned his family uh he's kicked out of the hotel for non-payment the children are shown in a post-success slump uh richie is basically traveling the world on a ocean liner cruise ship whatever Mm -hmm. basically alone uh traveling from coast to coast i forgot where they said he traveled but he's basically been all over the world on this cruise ship um because he's a he was a tennis star yes he was a tennis star who basically from a very young age was a champion and he had a mental breakdown and never played again but he still gets recognized on the street from Mm -hmm. people which is a really nice touch um so while on the ship he writes to his friend eli basically saying that he's in love with his adopted sister Margot. They, we check in with Chaz, who's living with his two sons, Ari and Uzi. He's a widower now. Yes, which I was just about to Sorry. say. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm helping. <laughs> we see a scene of uh, Ben Stiller just kind of just sitting on a bed with a little lantern by him. An alarm goes off, and then he basically sounds uh, like a fire alarm and wakes his kids up forces them to get out of the house as quickly as possible is basically training them like a drill for a fire since the death of his wife he's been obviously very protective overprotective paranoid of his sons um because they were all on the plane right or yeah uh, we we find out i don't know how much uh, well uh, let me say this and i it's stupid that i say it in every episode because people can be stupid 
not our listeners, no, but uh, most people can be stupid, or a lot of people can be stupid, where they'll go, oh, I'm going to listen to this podcast talking about uh, this movie from 21 years ago. Oh, what? They spoiled it for me. So, spoilers. We're going to spoil this movie. Please go see it. Uh, I think I said it was on Tubi last time, or two weeks ago. Um, so, yeah, go see it. It's on iTunes, I'm sure. Yeah. And it's that, available on DVD, Blu-ray, Criterion. Yeah, Criterion, edition. right. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, so spoilers. Uh, yeah, so he, they, the two boys and the mom were on a plane, and the two boys survived, mm-hmm. but she didn't. And Buckley. And Buckley, the dog. The dog. He was found a thousand yards away, <laughs> still in his crate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We see um, Margot is married to a neurologist, uh, Raleigh St. Clair, who is played by Bill Murray with an excellent beard. Mm-hmm. Obviously, their relationship doesn't look to be very healthy uh, as she spends most of her time in the bathtub soaking, smoking cigarettes, which she's hiding uh, from basically her family. She's been smoking since she was 12 and, and, nobody, knows. and nobody knows that she smokes. Somehow. She's very secretive. Um, we see that Raleigh is, um, I don't want to say he's experimenting because that like kind of negative connotation, but you see that he's working with a kid yeah um studying studying sure researching yeah researching kind of like the beginning of uh ghostbusters <laughs> oh yeah in a different in a much different way a nicer way at least good call um even though he's kind of a jerk to the guy because uh, but the kid seems to be like yeah yeah I'm, i got these problems he's into sure. it um his name is dudley dudley and i don't know if you noticed but his little bucket hat it has his name embroidered on it it says <laughs> dudley i'm sure i did yeah anything you want to add um off this little section well, I mean, I'm trying to see because okay, so we're still we, we can get to chapter. I th- I think pretty much chapter one is just establishing a lot of things. We're get we get introduced to the characters through an opening credits scene, which is it's it's rare to see in a movie now in like the last thirty years, but at the same time, this fits so well with Wes Anderson style mm-hmm. of where it just shows everybody because it kind of feels like it's one of those old movies where you'd watch it actually kind of felt like an ending credits montage yeah, yeah. Um, where they show them doing their little actions with their title card yeah like their name on it yeah almost like a full house yeah. intro or something yeah um we got ben stiller who you said um i'm not gonna repeat the names thank you but uh he's a actor and director in his own right he directed zoolander tropic thunder and cable guy uh right after this is right after meet the parents and zoolander which also has owen wilson in it and uh, this is two years before Duplex, so I I don't even don't know. really I I know of the movie I've heard of it but I've never seen it and is that with Jennifer Aniston? I think so. It's got to be one of those actresses that just were in everything like Drew Barrymore or something like around that time. Um, Gwyneth Paltrow, huh? I thought it It might be. So we're getting um, notes from our momager our producer our producer and momager <laughs> saying that it might be drew barrymore uh gwyneth paltrow is in it this is three years after her oscar win um for saving private ryan right yeah the movie that Lost. kept it from getting that this is right after talented mr ripley bounce and duets with uh, huey lewis and uh this is right before shallow how so take it take it what, how you will with how her career is doing at that point this is probably my least favorite actor actress in the movie, mm. um, but I think her performance is great in this. Like in in general, probably my least favorite actor or actress in this movie, but 
Still great. In in this, she's great. Yeah. And she's per- she's pitch perfect, as I like to say. Uh, Luke Wilson, this is right after Charlie's Angels and Legally Blonde, a couple years before Old School, and he was also in Bottle Rocket with his brother, which is weird that Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson aren't playing brothers, mm-hmm. and they're kind of playing friends. Uh, Owen Wilson, this is right after Shanghai Noon, right? Or he was also in Zoolander, Meet the Parents, and Behind Enemy Lines with other cast members. And uh, I just put in, and I don't know, I must have messed up <laughs> with uh, deleting a note by accident. And we also have Danny Glover, who comes towards the end of the scene with the, our chapter where he proposes to Angelica Houston's character. And there's a shot where you see the guy in the background who's... Pagoda. Pagoda, yeah. yeah. Which I love a lot. Yeah. Um, so as Getty was revealing, um, Henry Sherman, played by Danny Glover, who is Ethelene's uh, accountant, his faithful accountant for years, uh, very awkwardly proposes to Ethelene, and Ethelene very sweetly says uh, something to the effect that, like, I need more time or yeah. something like that. Let me think about it. Um, so when you're watching it in the background, you can see, uh, what do they call him? A valet, uh, Royals faithful valet pagoda is in the back and he hears the news of this. So he, um, immediately goes to Royal and let him know what's going on. Uh, he seems pretty incredulous and, you know, ask pagoda like, Oh, do you think she's going to go for it? Yeah. And he says, you know, something to the effect i don't know so that triggers something inside of uh royal so he comes up with this scheme that he has uh, stomach cancer to win back his wife and his children's affections there's a great scene it's and i think wes anderson does a lot of great like one uh one shots wonders yeah um where he reveals to ethleen when it's like a long dolly shot uh if you'll remember what a dolly shot is we <laughs> talked about it um See episode three. Four, I think. Four. Whatever the Once Upon a Time in the West is. Yeah. So he basically reveals to her that he has... He doesn't say what he has at first. He just says that he's dying. And then uh, Ethelene breaks down. And then he said, oh, wait, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not actually I'm dying. Not dying. And so she hits him and walks away. And then he says, actually, I am dying. And then she comes back and she says, you know, which one is it? And he says, I'm dying. I've got about six weeks left. Got a minute? What are you doing here? Uh, I need a favor. I want to spend some time with you and the children. Are you crazy? Well, wait a minute, damn it. Stop following me. Well, I want my family back. Well, you can't have it. I'm sorry for you, but it's too late. Well, listen, baby, I'm dying. Yeah, I'm sick as a dog. I'll be dead in six weeks. I'm dying. What are you talking about? What's happening? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. What'd they say? What's the prognosis? Take it easy, Ethel. Hold on, baby. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. 
Hold on. Where is the doctor? No, just wait a second now. Wait a second. Okay, listen, I'm not dying. But I need some time. A month or so, okay? I want us, I want us to, to, to... What's wrong with you? Damn. Ethel! Are you crazy? Ethel, baby, I am dying. Are you or aren't you? What? Dying? Yeah. Yeah, he commits to his lie. Yeah. When he sees that, he needs that lie to bring the family back together or to ingratiate himself with the family again. Yeah. Um, I forgot what the scene is. I think, isn't Margot talking to... um, I'm forgetting character names but bill murray's character and you can hear Raleigh. christmas yeah you can hear christmas time is here in the background there's a lot of christmas music playing yeah, yeah. Uh, which i thought was funny because around the same time arrested development came out and they played with that joke anytime uh oh yeah george michael can comes on he's sad and they play that in the background Chaz, we talked about his paranoia he decides that it's not safe where he's living so he goes to move in with his mom mm-hmm. the same building that they're they're all they living up in. in yeah they grew up in Chaz. What's going on? We got locked out of our apartment. Did you call a locksmith? Uh-huh. Well, I don't understand. Did you pack your bags before you got locked out, or how did you... It's not safe over there. Excuse me for a moment. What are you talking about? The apartment. I have to get some new sprinklers and a backup security system installed. But there are no sprinklers here either. We might have to do something about that, too. And Margot's using her feet for everything because she lost a finger. We find out later how. She uh, ran away from home for two weeks, and it's kind of set up that she's, well, obviously very secretive, but she, um, I don't know, can't stay in one place for too long. So she, when they're much smaller, there's a scene where she runs away um, with... uh, almost called him Roger. I don't know why. Richie. Richie. Um, and then when she's a little bit older, she runs away for two weeks and she comes back with half of her finger missing. Yeah. They and don't really explain. Why. Yeah. They, they show, they show a scene where, um, she's with like some family that looks like up in the Alps or something. The oh, guy's cutting yes. wood and she like has her hand in the wrong spot and she barely, that's like the biggest reaction she has in the entire movie is just like, Oh yeah. And that was, Oh, her biological family. There you go. I didn't even catch that. Yeah, I didn't either. Mm-hmm. Nice. Tressa's more um, detail-oriented. Here, why don't we hook up the third microphone? I know. <laughs> let's, get, let's get her on here. Uh, I don't know if she'll like that. Um, um, they're, they're, at one point, Eli comes out of the closet, like literally. And I was like, is that supposed to be like some kind of hint that he's actually gay or something? Because there was a second thing in the movie where I was like, oh, because he's like really into Richie. But it turns out it's just platonic. He just really wants to be. They've been best friends. Yeah, he, he, wants, he, wants, he wants to be a Tenenbaum. And he actually, he actually tells him that that he's always wanted to be a Tannenbaum, but that's later in the movie. Yeah. Uh, with that scene that you you just left off on, where um, Royal is telling, um, I didn't write down Angelica Houston's name, Ethelene, Ethelene, where he's telling her about it. She kind of overacts in that scene, and I, I again, pitch when she perfect. hits him. Yeah. 
And then she's like, oh, and then like, no, you're, I, I'm not dying. What? And smacks him. And then, okay, I am. And then she's like, uh, which one is it? I don't know what to do. So after hearing this, uh, basically, Ethelene calls all her children home and Royal uh, moves back into the house. But now he sets up like his fake hospital set up with like a yeah. ventilator. And it looks like someone made it out of like scrap metal and like cardboard boxes. <laughs> like it's very fake it looking, is. which is funny. Um, I guess it adds to like the whimsical. And I don't know, like whatever. It doesn't matter. Obviously, Chaz has the most um, fractured past, uh, fractured, has the worst um, history with Royal. He basically despises him. He hasn't told his children about, you know, the fact that he exists. Mm -hmm. He actually says that he died, right? He tells them that they died. He died. He might have. You know, it probably would have been better if we, uh, like, maybe recorded this right after watching. Yeah. (laughs) Again, um... So they have a family meeting where they're discussing him coming home and Chaz absolutely goes nuts about it and refuses to have him in the house where Richie, uh, you know, is kind of protecting his dad and Margot is just indifferent because she's indifferent to everything. Anything to say about that? Well, I mean, there's a few things, I guess, that were still in chapter one because now we're on to chapter three or sorry, chapter two, um, where uh, Richie lets his bird go. Which is the cover of the Criterion version. Which I love. Mordecai. Yeah. Mordecai, yeah. Uh, These Days by Nico plays. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, was, I referenced, or I wrote down that there are a lot of dolly shots, that Wes Anderson uses a lot of dolly shots. That's something we could talk about, but this entire movie is very um, 2D. Yeah. Like, it's, Which, it's like, just, it's it's like a play. style, yeah. yeah. Um, and I love when he uses extreme close ups. I love extreme close ups in general, but when he uses it. Uh, I like when uh, I think it was uh, Royal sees Buckley and just says Buckley sit and he automatically sits down. Yeah. Uh, and he says at one point your mother was a terribly attractive woman. <laughs> and Further uh, driving the point home that he's like kind of a piece of shit. Yeah. Well, and, and, he, and shallow. He's, he's so oblivious to mm-hmm. the fact that he is all these negative things that he's just like, oh, no, this is the way it is. Mm-hmm. This is just, you know, this is how talk about a person right uh we find out why richie stopped playing uh, tennis and they called him the bomber or boomer i thought it was bomber no but isn't his nickname boomer no bomber, bomber like tenon bomb really yeah well, fuck this me. is this is the movie you assigned to I me i know i know i know <laughs> fortunately we have somebody who knows better than both but of us this i will say that um I haven't seen this movie in a really long time, and I watched it um, yesterday. Okay. So it should be fresher in my mind, but... It should be, but yeah. I mean, you miss things, you get distracted. Yeah. Um, I guess I can bring up certain things that are happening in the plot. Sure. Um, in case I go too far. I have Mr. Gandhi written down. I'm guessing that's uh, um, his valet. That's the name he goes by. Unless I'm thinking of no, something else. No, Gandhi was the name of the guy that he was playing tennis against in his match. Oh, okay. I noticed that too. And I was like, what? <laughs> oh, we find out that Chaz sued Royal and got him disbarred. I forget why he sued him though. He stole money from Chaz. Oh, okay. And bonds. And... From him being a small child and having like his own business. He was obviously wealthy. So uh, it's later revealed that Royal was stealing money from Chaz. But that's not the only reason why he disdains him 
Mm-hmm. I like how each chapter kind of has its own pace. And I wrote down, is Eli gay? Paintings and porn tapes. Because I guess his paintings are very homoerotic or very masculine, if I remember correctly. Yeah, there's like men with their shirts off and like oh. outdoorsy. Yeah, um, kind of homoerotic. I was... Um, is this during the tapes. scene yeah is that during the scene because you can see them on the corner of the frame but they're out of focus but i was trying to see like what kind i did not notice any gay porn on there oh, yeah. but uh i i couldn't make out the names very well they were just very colorful and very obviously porn yes that was it and they were stacked very high yeah. <laughs> and your headset's on backwards again who gives a shit <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> I love how much your brother laughed at that when I said that last time. Yeah, he thought it was really funny. So chapter four. So as we said, Royal moves into the house. He sets up uh, his little medical equipment with Pagoda being his <laughs> personal nurse. He was staying at a hotel before this, mm-hmm. and they were telling him basically, like, get out. Yes, yeah, you can't I afford it. Mentioned that. You did mention that? Yeah, he got kicked out for not paying his bills. Oh, there you go. Shows how much I haven't paid attention. But I will say that two of the guys that work there... Um, we're both in the show The Flight of the Concords, and they've both been in the same episode together. So the old man and the guy who keeps telling him that like you need to leave there mm, in the the hotel manager or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So um one of the my favorite scenes in this movie happens during this chapter where um Royal basically learns that Chaz is extremely overprotective of his children. He finds mm-hmm. out that they don't know that he exists or potentially that he's dead. Um, so he ends up taking his grandsons out and about. They go shoplifting. Uh, one of them steals a carton of milk, and um, he comes out. Royal comes out of like the liquor store, and he pulls out like a very, very small bag of chips or something, and like flashes it in front of them, and they <laughs> start laughing. They go to a. Um, they ride a uh, like go karts together, which right. looks really fun. They ride a garbage truck together, and then apparently he takes them to a dog fight which i obviously don't approve of at all of course not yeah no dogs were probably probably no dogs were harmed in the making of this movie yeah let's hope so um otherwise my score is going to get a lot lower um (laughs) could you imagine yeah uh, yeah anyways let's not imagine so they come home Chaz is freaking out and um you know basically yells at him and they actually go into a closet which is a great shot where have you been Oh, he just stepped out to get some air. What's that? Holy shit. That's not... What is that? Oh, no, no, that's uh, dog's blood. Come here. What? You stay away from my children. Do you understand? My God, I haven't been in here for years. Hey! Are you listening to me? Yes, I am! I think you're having a nervous breakdown. I don't think you recovered from Rachel's death. I... He brings them into the closet, turn on the lights, and it's a closet completely full of like old board games. Yeah. Which looks fun. Um, and basically, for the first time, Royal like loses his cool and like Chaz is yelling at him and then Royal is yelling back at him, basically saying like you're endangering my children and Royal says like I think you need to relax, you're having a nervous breakdown kind of thing. Yeah. Eli, who uh we mentioned earlier, he's a drug addict, uh history writer, something to that extent. He's like also um fairly well known but he's a very interesting character um he's kind of been having a on and off again relationship with margot um and then eli tells him 
basically that Richie loves her. He uh, tells her about the letter that uh, Richie wrote to him saying that he's in love with uh, Margot. The performances in this movie are great, for the, especially for this movie. The movie is sweet in its Wes Anderson weirdness. And we find we find out, like, is Margot cheating? And uh, Raul? What did you say? No, oh, um, Bill Murray's character. Rally. Raleigh. 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 Raul? Raul? I'm just going to say the, the actor's names. Sure. Because no um, I didn't write them down except for Chaz and uh, Richie. Uh, but he goes i think it goes to richie saying i think margo's cheating on me and so that's a whole investigation and adds to richie going you know, like getting even more jealous because i think we find out in around this time maybe it's much later if we find out why he he retired it says right here yeah i wrote down in chapter three why richie stopped playing tennis maybe i was asking the question but you he threw that game he didn't throw the game but he was distracted caring because uh, Bill Murray was with Gwyneth Paltrow, Margot. So he was jealous, and uh, that's why he quit, and he left, and all that. He takes off one of his shoes and one of his socks. Yeah. I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Uh, when we go to Chaz after uh, um, Grandpa had his, his time with, with the kids, uh, there was a secretary next to Ben Stiller that I thought was uh, Christine Taylor, his, his wife. wife. Yeah. And I looked it up. I was like, no, it's not. No, it's not. I kind of thought the same thing for yeah. a second. Me and Julio down by the schoolyard, or maybe it's Julio because it's, uh, Paul Simon is playing. Uh, I wrote down almost getting hit by cars, which I'm guessing happened with Grandpa. Oh, yeah, with the kids. Basically teaching them to like live more dangerously, to be more reckless, because he actually says that to Ethelene, that the kids need to be more reckless. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're running... A, they wait for the crosswalk signal to say don't walk and then they run across mm. and they narrowly miss getting hit by cars which is kind of uh foreshadowing for later uh yeah they steal the milk and the kid chaz's kids love the freedom that grandpa brings because they have had such a restricted life their entire life because of well at least since losing their mother and uh, the board game closet and boar's head Oh, there's a boar's head inside the closet as well. Which was originally hanging on the wall in the house, mm-hmm. but then after he leaves, they take it down. Yeah. Um, I forgot what he calls it. It has a name. I... He- he- something with an H. Whatever. Hector. Um... No, like Hendelina or something like that. I can't remember what it was, but it doesn't matter. And that's one of the things that... Um, trademarks, I guess, of Wes Anderson that I've seen in a few different films of having the wall with the missing painting or the missing thing on the wall because that's definitely in Grand Budapest. It's a big plot point in Grand Bud- Budapest. We, we see Royal manipulating and uh, in order to try to separate Henry from Ethelene. Ge- yeah, Angelica Houston's character. I wrote down Royal the racist? I don't remember why. Can I ask you something, Hank? Okay. Are you trying to steal my woman? I beg your pardon. You heard me, Coltrane. Coltrane? What? Did you just call me Coltrane? No. You didn't? No. Okay. But if I did... You wouldn't be able to do anything about it, would you? You don't think so? No, I don't. Listen, Royal, if you think you can march... You want to talk some jive? I'll talk some jive. I'll talk some jive like you never heard. Oh, yeah? Right on! Sit down. What? 
What, what did you say? I said sit down. Oh, I heard you. I want you out of my house. I'm just as much your house. the ass out. Don't talk semantics with no, me. That's just not your... What's going on here? Um, well, I wrote about this scene, but basically the first time that he meets um, Henry Sherman, which is such a funny scene, but it's not supposed to be fun. Well, I think it is, but um, Ethelene is walking with Henry, and she introduces Henry to Roy, and he says, Hey, lay it on me, baby. Or, lay it on me, man. When he, he gives <laughs> him a high five instead of shaking his hand. Just the way that he says that is hilarious oh we see royals prescriptions that are obviously all tic tacs yes well i was gonna get to that but so they hire um royal and richie hire a private investigator to surveil margot to try to find out who she's having an affair with and if she's having an affair so during this time um henry knows that royal is full of shit uh he makes a comment because Royal is like eating cheeseburgers and mm. uh, drinking Coke. And he says, you know, someone with stomach cancer, you eat a lot of junk food and drink a lot of soda. Pagoda has something to say. He has the cancer. No, he doesn't. I know what stomach cancer looks like. I've seen it. And you don't eat three cheeseburgers a day with french fries if you got it. The pain is excruciating. How would you know? My wife had it. Not only is there no Dr. McClure at Kobe General, there is no Kobe General. It closed in 1974. Oh, shit, man. Oh, shit, man. Um, So he begins to... I mean, I think he knew from the beginning that sure. he was full of shit. He at least suspected. Yeah, so he investigates the claim of cancer, and uh, he calls the pharmacy trying to find out more about the information, what kind of pills he's taking, and he finds out that the doctor doesn't exist, um, and the medication, quote-unquote, that he's taking is only Tic Tacs. Um, so he confronts everybody, and he makes sure that ethylene comes up so he can point it out. Yeah, so afterwards, they basically get kicked out of the Tenenbaum house. Yeah, he comes up to him, and and I... I, Well, first of all, before... Or between prescriptions and and this, I wrote Wildcat in quotes, so I don't remember what that is. Well, Wildcat was written in a kind of obsolete vernacular. And uh, when he find when he finds out the jig is up, he goes, "Oh shit, man!" <laughs> I don't know why I wrote that down specifically. It's funny. It was probably a lot, of a lot funnier the way he said it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the last six, he says, "The last six days of my life have been the the best six days of my life." And Alec Baldwin, the narrator, says at that moment he genuinely meant it. Genuinely, he realized he he actually meant it or something, um, mm-hmm. something like that. Look, I I know I'm going to be the bad guy on this one. But I just want to say the last six days have been the best six days of probably my whole life. Immediately after making this statement, Royal realized that it was true. Um, so Richie and Raleigh get the um, report from the private detective on Margot, uh, where they go into this little like 
whole little story of basically her life and um, how she started smoking and her different relationships to people, including uh, a marriage to a Jamaican recording artist. Um, I think she says that she's only been married to him for, she was only married to him for six days. Something like that. Yeah. But they show these different, uh, like... Album covers? Yeah, they show the album cover with her in the background of this. (laughs) So when they find this out um there's a great scene with uh, luke wilson where he he's like in the um i don't know what you call that but it's on top of the roof it's like the room where he would keep mordecai like i don't know what those are called cages it's not a cage but anyways but he punches the window um and then walks out because he's very upset about the news that he heard um and then we go to a really dark scene but it's like a really great scene which i I want to spend i want to really like focus on that scene and uh there were a couple things i missed so i want to go back just a slight bit because like this scene we're about to talk about is very important um okay so i wrote down for theme when he's getting kicked out uh the loneliness and death and love lost and family uh, a little bit of the sins of the father returning again uh, one man's selfishness has not only ruined his kids, but their friends and their future mates. Uh, at one point, somebody says he's not your father, probably to Margo. And uh, <laughs> there was a really funny line. He says to Pagoda, that's the last time you put a knife in me, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is hilarious. Because earlier in the film, there's a story that he tells that um, Pagoda had stabbed him in uh, Calcutta, I think he said. Yeah. yeah, at a bazaar in Calcutta. And then he saved him. Eli isn't in love with margo anymore he says and we've, the, the uh, private investigator uh judy is a uh, judy is a punk by the ramones plays we see mark while we see margo's history uh wrote 22 avenue express age 32 i need to take better notes or uh, is that eli or lookalike so, oh she's making out with uh, somebody who looks like eli so was that eli yeah okay. it was yeah and uh on the train yeah yeah and they him. find out that she smokes and then we get to probably my favorite scene in the movie. So, um, so Luke Ritchie has had enough, um, and he goes into a bathroom, and he ends up cutting his hair and his beard off because he has long shoulder-length hair and a mm-hmm. big bushy beard, both of which are very um, regal. Uh, and he cuts it off with scissors, which so when he's done cutting his hair, it's you can tell it's very like patchy and mm-hmm. not well done, but it looks good. Um, he looks into the mirror and he says, I'm going to kill myself tomorrow. And then he has a couple flashes of everything wrong in his life, everything going on. So he makes the decision then and there to kill himself right then and there instead of waiting. Um, all the while playing um, Needle in the Hay by mm-hmm. uh, Elliot Smith, which is, I think, perfect song for it. Um, and like I was saying, like, people kind of marketed this movie as like a light-hearted like oh funny like quirky zany quirky comedy but like this shit is dark and like it's yeah. a very realistic depiction of uh, suicide i i think it kind of surprising how like graphic it is yeah i think it's kind of like what i was talking about with uh, everything everywhere last week where you have the what's in front of your face the epidermis as i said of it being this lighthearted, quirky comedy with you know some dark elements but then you get to like 
you go a few layers deeper and then you get stuff like this where mm -hmm. it's shot so beautifully lit so beautifully uh, edited perfectly you never see him actually cut himself but then the blood starts to pour mm -hmm. and it's just the song's perfect with it and suddenly it's like it's almost like a totally different movie yeah but at the same time it does fit with it so that's why i think it's so perfect and i yes it's my favorite scene in the movie yeah um i agree 100 percent, and especially uh, going off like visually it's like perfect the lighting is perfect uh, the tones of the you know the color temperature the lighting is just like it's perfect and then you find a suicide note and they say is it dark is it, of course it's dark it's a suicide note why'd you try to kill yourself don't press him right now i wrote a suicide note you did yeah Right after I regain consciousness. Can we read it? No. Can you paraphrase it for us? I don't think so. Is it dark? Of course it's dark. It's a suicide note. All right, that's enough. And that's probably like one of those like things that people are like dying at the theater and it's like, yeah, it's funny, but it's not like but you know there's not a lot of like laugh out loud moments in this movie but it, yeah it's kind of like a reminder of going but it's a wes anderson movie even though this is the movie that make people go oh this is a wes anderson movie this is what it's supposed to be yeah even though i hadn't seen his previous two so he deadly stumbles upon him um and screams there's no sound the sound has been taken out mm -hmm. uh they rush him to the hospital the whole family's there and um, word gets to Royal that he, you know, what had happened. They go into the hospital to try to go in and they say, you know, visiting hours are over. You have to wait. And then Royal asks the person, like, does it say in there that my son doesn't want me to see me? And she yeah. doesn't really answer the question. And I love, like, out of the corner of the frame, you see, like, the security guard moving closer and closer, supposing that he's going to make a problem. Yeah. Um, so they leave outside the hospital and Royal's going over like a plan. We can hop on that and shimmy over and jump the ledge. And then Pagoda goes, there he goes. And <laughs> they cut to um, Luke Wilson still in his like hospital gown, like getting on a bus and just yeah. leaving. That was that, that moment is such a, like it reminds me of Royal, Royal Tenenbaums so much of just like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And it's like, Oh no, that's happening. Oh, okay. And up until this point, Richie was the most forgiving of Royal. Yes. Out of like pretty much anybody. And he was always protecting him because yeah. they had the best relationship. So earlier they make a point to show that um, they were always together when they were kids. Right. He would take uh, Richie everywhere. So yeah, he definitely had the best relationship with Richie. Maybe he was the most proud of him. I don't know because he was like a sports athlete like yeah, a he was, tennis he, champion he was the most successful and he didn't sue him yeah and he's actually biologically his kid so of yeah. course <laughs> i guess he's got that going for him <laughs> and he said that he had made money off of betting on him before mm. and he lost a lot of money when he um basically stopped trying and threw in yeah, the towel pretty much uh we had danny glover's performance around this uh, between the the two scenes that we just talked about of the suicide and the the getting on the bus where uh he's there he's like very sweet and he's like how how can i help mm -hmm. and uh you can see the difference between what a father should be and what royal is. is yeah uh with him uh when he does when richie does leave fly by nick drake is playing uh they keep using the gypsy cab company which mm -hmm. is funny and they're different cabs each time but they're all beat up shitty yeah. looking cars which might be uh problematic for now 
insinuating that gypsy is like a bad thing. Oh yeah, like yeah, everything yeah. Shitty. That's a that's a term we don't use anymore, I guess. Um, and then Margot is in Richie's tent. Yes, they confess their love. Well, I guess uh, Richie confesses his love for Margot, and Margot says that she's been in love with him too. They share their love with each other, and they have like a very deep, passionate kiss. And then Margot leaves. And then while she's leaving, she says, I think we need to continue to keep our love a secret. And Richie says nothing. <laughs> I do have it written down. It says, I love you. I love you too. So I don't know who says that. Uh, for Richie, Richie says it to Margot first, and then Margot says it back. Okay. I have written down, for a movie that's kind of, that is kind of silly and abstract, the suicide attempt and the cuts slash stitches, because you see the actual stitches. Yeah, I, I forgot to mention that. That's like very like graphic, and she yeah. even... like has her first like real reaction she says jesus when when she he pulls up the band-aids to show yeah. the scars because they're intense and he really fucking went at it like yeah. he really he went down the street and sort yes, of across the road exactly he did it the right way and there's multiple <laughs> cuts um but yeah that was another thing it's just like is it is it a comedy i don't know but it's very graphic and that's yeah. like dark as shit like they could have just shown like a little scar but it's like yeah. intense and as he's leaving ruby tuesday by the rolling stone starts playing I didn't notice that. Because it says goodbye, Ruby Tuesday. Mm -hmm. He's leaving. Get it? Sure. (laughs) Chapter 7. Okay. Uh, So after everything that's going on, Royal decides that he wants Ethelene to be happy, and he uh, arranges for a divorce. He runs up on them and has uh, basically tells her, like, here's your divorce. It's all signed. I just need to file the paperwork. He has a notary (laughs) there with him. Um, for her to sign the paperwork, and they both do. I got something for you, Ethel. Uh, actually, I made it. What's this? It's a divorce. From you? Yes. Yeah. This is Sanchez. He's a notary public. Hello. Hello, sir. You just sign here, initial here, and sign there. You own this building, don't you, Henry? Hmm. It's magnificent. I used to be a homeowner myself until our son expropriated from me. Now here comes my bus. Thanks, Sanchez. You're welcome. Are we divorced? Almost. Sanchez just has to file the paper. I love you, Ethelene. Congratulations, both of you. I didn't think so much of him at first, but now I get it. He's everything that I'm not. So the divorce has officially been granted because he wants her to be happy and he realizes that with Henry, um, she would be happy. Mm-hmm. So uh, we cut to the actual wedding. Uh, they're doing it at their actual house. I guess maybe we should talk about this right before. There's a scene where basically um, they have an intervention with Eli, who is having, I don't know what you call it. He's, he's a junkie. Well, he's obviously a junkie, but he's having some sort of drug party Um with two other weird guys and they're discussing the merits of some ancient history. Uh, so basically Rishi confronts him and says, you know, I love you. I care about you. He knows that he's, you know, been a junkie for a while. Um, and that's where Eli reveals to, um, I don't know why I keep wanting to say Reggie, (laughs) Richie, (laughs) Richie. Um, he says to him, uh, I've always wanted to be a Tenenbaum. They hug, and Richie really makes it a point to tell them that he like loves him and cares about him. 
Eli says, okay, like, yes, he acts like he's like a willing participant and he's ready to go to recovery. Um, and he says, I just have to grab my stuff. And then he escapes. <laughs> there he goes. And there he goes. <laughs> there he goes. Uh, he gets in the car and he hauls ass down the road. So we go back to the wedding. Um, and then we see Eli, who's high on probably mescaline, because he mentions being high on mescaline earlier, crashes his car into the side of the house. Um, he, the boar's head gets put back on the wall, and uh, Royal gets a new job uh, as a elevator, elevator man. Operator. And uh, I feel like that new job humbles him, and so that's when he starts being a nicer person. That's when he, like you said, he, he realizes that he wants his ex-wife or current wife who becomes his ex-wife to be happy over his own happiness, his own selfishness. Um, he says, Margot Tannenbaum, which I wrote down. Why did he say her full name? Was that him say, finally saying that? Yes, she I is being accept, accepting of her yeah. being his child. Uh, he tells someone don't listen. He says to Chaz, I think don't listen to me because I'm basically he, he's a horrible father. So he's a bad example. So don't take his advice. Uh, Stephanie says by the Velvet Underground's playing. Uh, you talked about how Eli has a drug problem, and that's why he that's why he was in the closet and getting so touchy feely with Richie because he's on drugs. And like you said, always wanted to be a time bomb. We hear Christmas time is is here playing again, and um, yeah, he does actually call Margot his daughter and not just adopted daughter. Somebody says something, and he goes about a name, and he says that's my mother. That was my mother's name don't remember who said that to royal it's like they named somebody something or like oh okay so like he's so god damn she knows better oblivious. than both of us thank you <laughs> he's so thank oblivious you, to uh what's going on around him and like so selfish that he didn't even know that his own daughter's middle name was his mother's name can't somebody be a shit their whole life and try to repair the damage i i mean I think people want to hear that. Do they? Hmm. You probably don't even know my middle name. That's a trick question. You don't have one. Helen. That was my mother's name. I know it was. Chaz says uh, to somebody that he's a widower himself. Who is... Oh, does he say it to uh, Henry? Yes. All right. And he says, I know that Chaz, which shows again that he is a way better father than his father. So he had a certain expectation of like, oh, I have to remind him of things. And Henry's like, no, I know because I pay attention because I care because mm-hmm. you're not biologically my son, but you're about to legally become my son. But no, I'm acting like a way better father than you've ever had in your entire life. Margot's trying to quit smoking. She has her little... Nicotine. nicotine inhaler yeah that's where we get to where eli crashes the car which was kind of foreshadowed when royal and his two grandsons were dodging traffic and then uh we find out that um royal saved Chaz. Chaz. why did i suddenly forget his name Chaz. Chaz. yeah i said it right the first time he saved Chaz, uh, chaz's kids and uh but the dog didn't make it buckley didn't buckley was killed yeah, which, which is foreshadowed in the, the fire drill at the beginning. Because the, the kids ask, what about Buckley? And they say, forget it, he's gone. Yeah, and then he dies at the end. So. And then he dies. And so... There's still more. After 
after he crashes into the car, he gets out. Well, he, Chaz, I guess, or Eli, Eli gets goes through the window, and he's missing a shoe. Um, and then Chaz goes nuts, obviously, and chases uh, Eli throughout the house. And he elbows, um, while they're wrestling, <laughs> Chaz and Eli, uh, Chaz accidentally elbows uh, Richie in the eye when they're trying to break it up. And he... It seems like he like throws Eli over the wall, showing yeah. I guess like he's very strong because he is um, very big on physical fitness. They show throughout the movie, so he throws him over the wall. They get broken up. The fight gets broken up, and they both realize that they need uh, psychiatric help. Yeah, he says, "I need help," yeah. and he says, "So do I." Did I hit the dog? Yeah. You dead? Yeah. I need help. So do I. And they're both they're laying next to each other and they both mm-hmm. like out of breath and they realize like, yeah, we both need help. Zoolander and Hansel fighting. Uh and there apparently there's one shot at some point that I wrote down the one shot. I don't remember what it was. I can guarantee I tell you what it is. Um, so it's the aftermath of everything. It's a very long oh, dolly with a probably the crane shot. For some reason, I was thinking one shot as in just one person was in the shot. But oh, yeah, the no. one It goes through basically showing every everyone in the story at one point in the same location because they're all at the same point and they're all in the same location and kind of like what each person is doing. Um, Royal is talking to the fireman about the dog, the Dalmatian. Mm-hmm. Spark plug. Spark plug. And he tells the dog to sit, and the dog sits mm-hmm. just like he did for Buckley. I think the firemen were probably like real firemen because they don't speak and they kind of look like yeah. either that or they're like overacting extras. Which, are, <laughs> which I don't know about you, but I both love and hate seeing like overacting extras in the background. Oh, gosh. I think Christopher Nolan in the first two Dark Knight movies have some of the worst background actors like there's i don't know the i I can't even we'll we'll probably eventually talk about those movies but yeah yeah so sometimes it's funny um one that comes to mind and i don't know why because i've seen this movie like twice but the original like fast and the furious movie Mm -hmm. um after they have their first like race and um um what's his name the guy who's no longer with us Oh, Paul Walker. Paul Walker, where he loses the race to Vin Diesel at the beginning of the movie. Spoilers. There's, there's like a... Uh, where he's like, dude, I almost had you. And then like there's a crowd gathered around while Vin Diesel's like talking shit about how he drove. There's one extra in the background that like kills me every time because he's overacting so bad. Yeah. And it's so funny to see, but it also like hurts me to see it. Yeah. It's embarrassing. It's like one of those moments where you feel like embarrassed for someone and you kind of like don't want to look at them because you're embarrassed for them. You know yeah. what I mean? Acting's difficult. You it have is. to tell yourself to act naturally. And when you're doing that, it's like it's like when you play poker and you get a good hand, you have to try not to flinch. So yeah. it's tough. Just like your porn career. <laughs> uh, I like that try spark. Try not to flinch. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know if i get that uh <laughs> after the podcast i'll explain it to you thank you uh the dog is dalmatian mm-hmm. in reference to the mice the dalmatian mice yes um and Chaz finally breaks down or something uh finally 
has a breakthrough where he realizes that he needs help. Yeah. He's, he's harboring a lot of probably anger, resentment, uh, fear, everything. I, I wrote down that uh, I lost it when Chaz lost it, so I probably got a little teary-eyed at the beginning, or at the end of this movie. Yeah, I wrote um, something about that, too. That scene between them is like, mm-hmm. it's very simple, but it's like a very beautiful moment. Again, like a very serious moment in mm-hmm. this movie. Margot smiles, finally. Yeah, for the first time in the entire movie. The Ferris of the Seasons by Nico is playing. Runs with two horses. What's that mean? That's the name of the guy at the Eli's Treatment Center. Oh, okay. Sponsor. <laughs> That's right. That's funny that you wrote that and you don't even know what it means. Well, yeah, because I write it down immediately after seeing it. And that movie, again, I saw this movie, I was ready to talk about this movie Last a week ago. Week, yeah. so, and I probably saw it Tuesday, so it's been nine days since i've seen it which shouldn't be that long but it was the only time i've ever seen it so yeah so um 48 hours after the catastrophe at the house um ethelene and henry are married just in the judge's chambers Mm -hmm. um and then i guess comes the epilogue kind of do you have anything to say before we go into the epilogue i wrote down that Chaz rides with royal in the ambulance yes he's the only one in there yeah but that's yeah an undetermined amount of time later, uh, they show Margot, who releases a new play inspired by her family and the past events. Raleigh publishes a book about Dudley's condition and goes on a university speaking tour. I forget what the book is called. Yeah, there's so many book titles in yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. Um, but they ask him questions, and someone asks him, like, can he tell time? And he's like, oh, God, no. I don't understand <laughs> what the... Like, like what the point if there's like a deeper meaning behind that but like it's just funny yeah just funny yes can the boy tell time oh my lord no no raleigh and dudley went on a lecture tour to 11 universities in the promotion of their new book but it's one of those moments that is like i didn't find it outwardly funny but it's just bizarre um as you said eli checks himself into a rehab center um where his sponsor his name runs with two two horses two horses runs with two horses um and then richie begins teaching junior tennis lessons at the place where ari and uzi uh first met royal um Chaz becomes less protective over his children and royal seems to have really improved his relationship with all his children and seems to be on better terms with ethylene so royal has a heart attack at the age of 68 um you later find out they don't show him die, but um, you find out that he dies from the heart attack. And like you said, uh, Chaz is the only one that's in the ambulance ride with him. And if you look, you can see that spark plug is inside the, the ambulance with them hmm. when they're showing Gene Hackman's like, uh, I guess Chaz's point of view looking down at Royal, you can see the Dalmatian's body in the background. Mm-hmm. I wonder if his ability to make any dog sit has like something to do with him being the alpha. Yeah. So patriarch. Uh, yeah. The patriarch. Um, and I wonder if, um, I had a thought and it just left my mind. And so I was trying to say words until I can remember what I was talking about. Um, Oh, cause I, I believe, and I'm sure you very much believe this, that, uh, dogs are a very good judge of character. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So the fact that the dogs, are taken to him maybe that you know that good character has Shows been in him. goodness in his heart a little it's bit. always been there the whole time yeah hmm. he's just unaware of the fact that he's being an asshole I, that's what i was saying kind of at the beginning like he he's not like 
I don't think he's meaning to be malicious. He's just right. of a different era. Like he is an asshole, like obviously, and he abandoned his children. So that doesn't make him a good person at all. But I think kind of at heart, he has good in his heart, I guess. I've abandoned my boy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so we then cut to uh, the funeral for Royal. Um, Alec Baldwin makes a point that no one spoke during his funeral at all. They all kind of walk out of the cemetery. I think they show the headstone first, but we'll go over that. Everyone walks out of the um, of the funeral in like a really beautiful moment in slow motion. Everybody's walking out uh, with a Van Morrison song playing in the background. Did you write that down? Everyone. Yeah. By Van Morrison. Great song. Um, and I think it's hilarious what his headstone reads. <laughs> yeah. I have it written down. Yeah, I do. I do too. Go ahead. Um, died tragically rescuing his family from the wreckage of a destroyed sinking battleship, which I guess if you, I don't know, you can kind of like dig into that a little yeah. bit deeper and it's like, yeah, kinda. he kind of did that. Yeah. Not like, not exactly, you know. He humbled himself and saved his family and everybody was able to move on and become better people or at least try to be. And yeah, it's not a literal thing. He didn't rescue them from like a battleship out yeah. at sea. But I guess if you think about his family being the battleship and it was sinking, it was everybody sinking. was... Yeah, so he kind of did that. It's just a funny way of putting it. And then there's the famous Ben Stiller nude... Oh, sorry, this is the wrong movie. <laughs> That's the Royal Tenenbaums. So I um, love how it ends with the gate closing yeah. and so it's their, their Tenenbaum lot. So it just says the Tenenbaums. Yes. So. Um, so I guess we'll go with uh, overall thoughts. I'll give mine first and then my score. Uh, this movie was only nominated for one Academy Award for original screenplay, but it lost to Gos- Gosford Park. I've never seen the movie. And so who has remembers that movie who has seen it i haven't you haven't so. it was a different time for oscars where the stuffy movies got it i mean we still have green book and shit like that winning i mean i haven't seen the movie so i can't say it's a bad movie but i highly doubt it's the best movie of that year uh but what's what is what is uh memorable about the 2002 oscars is that it's the first year to have the best animated feature hmm. as an oscar which ended up being shrek Jimmy Neutron and Monsters Inc. are the other two nominees. And it's the first year that Will Smith was nominated. <laughs> Bringing it back full circle for yeah. Will Smith. So, uh, do you think everyone should see this movie? Absolutely. I don't want it to be an obvious thing for like the movies that I suggest to you as homework. Like, I don't want them to all be like obviously, like, yes, you should see this. Because there are some, and there's one that we that I told you about, but I haven't told you the name of it that's one of those movies that it's not for everyone yeah and like i want to do movies also that i don't necessarily like love mm-hmm. but movies that change the way i think about movies if that makes sense but my answer for this is a resounding yes everybody mm-hmm. should see this movie and i'll tell you why <laughs> <laughs> Um, so overall, this is definitely my favorite Wes Anderson movie. Um, for the longest time before I saw it, I always thought that Wes Anderson made weird, quirky, offbeat movies marketed as comedies, um, but weren't really comedies or just weren't funny at all. Um, prime example being that OR Scrubs line from Rushmore that was like in every trailer. Do you remember that? I do. You can probably cut it into here. I like your nurse's uniform guy. These are OR Scrubs. Oh, are they? And, like, I remember thinking, like, that's not funny. 
Like, why would they put that in the movie? I thought it was at the time, but I'm sure... Even then, it wasn't funny to me, and it's still not funny now. They were probably trying to figure out Wes Anderson, and so they're probably advertising his movie, because now they could just go, hey, it's a Wes Anderson movie. Right. Exactly. That's all they need to say. Back Um, then, they're probably just like, hey, check out this new director. Yeah. Uh, And I will say that um, I don't like Rushmore, and I don't like Bottle Rocket. Hmm. Which is funny, so it's not he's not a director where I like instantly like right. Oh, I have to see this like P.T. Anderson or David Fincher or something. Um, so this is excellently acted by everybody, and obviously it has such a varied cast of great actors in it, um, and especially from Gene Hackman, uh, he's he's the probably the best part of this movie. Um, which makes the fact that he's a complete prick and made everyone miserable during the shoot very sad. Oh, wow. um, the movie is very visually beautiful, as all of Wes's movies are. Uh, he says a lot about his stories visually, like a lot <laughs> about his stories visually, uh, through the camera moves and uh, camera placement, the color, the symmetry and composition. Um, it's very heartfelt and at times very dark. It still holds up today, and I still love this movie. Um, should I give my score? Or should yeah. I wait? Okay. So I gave it a 8.17 out of 10 and I took 0.5 away because they killed Buckley, which there's absolutely no reason to. That dog was so sweet and they killed him. And it's such a bizarre thing. It's like, why, what was the point of killing the dog? So he could get them the new dog. That's not important to progress the story. You didn't have to kill Buckley. Maybe. I mean, yes, I understand. You're a little biased when it comes to uh, animals as yes. you should be. Yes. Uh, especially dogs um maybe it was kind of like a out with the old like the relationship has has been renewed the old version of the relationship is dead and now you know maybe buckley i if i remember more about buckley because buckley i'm assuming represents the the mother who had passed maybe like giving it maybe I'm, i might be thinking too much into this sure. but maybe buckley represents the grief the paranoia that comes from the grief and everything that he's holding on to the uh, his inability to forgive his father and uh once buckley dies maybe it was a necessary death as far as the story goes as the character goes um but yes i'm always against a dog dying in a movie yes and then there's like the the dog fighting yeah and then there's even a scene where uh, when Royal takes the kids to the dog fight and he has dog's blood on his face. And I'm like, that's, again, very Pretty, dark humor. Yeah. Like, it's very dark. So, um, yes, 8.17. And I took away half a point for them killing Buckley. Wow. Um, I'm surprised. I, I mean, I, I... A shade under nine. Like, uh, way, way under nine if we don't kill uh, that. <laughs> I was I was gonna say I'm surprised that you gave it an eight anything because I mean it's not a low score. Uh, I showed you a a graph of what I think uh, the what each number represents, and I'm saying that eight is a, means great. That's a great movie. So that's what I feel about this. Oh, I, I mean I haven't given my score yet, but that's what I feel about uh, uh, being John Malkovich, mm-hmm. and uh, and good would be seven. So I think Place Beyond the Pines is a good movie. Anyways. Um, yeah, so I'm surprised with how much you hyped this movie and the way you've been talking about it that you only gave it an 8.1. Okay, if we're not counting the dog thing, I would say I would give it a 9. So, <laughs> nine, okay. Yeah. Um, but I have to 
respect my animals friends yes that's fair enough and i'm not judging you on that um as far as me yes i would recommend this movie unless you hate wes anderson because this is his first well, as far as i can tell because i've only seen trailers and clips of um, bottle rocket and rushmore that this seems like his, this is a very wes anderson movie mm-hmm. i think there are mo- movies later on that are more wes anderson myself moonrise kingdom is probably my least favorite of his movies i wasn't too impressed with it uh, I'd probably give that more like a 6.5. Um, I said my top three. Well, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, how do I feel about the movie? Uh, it was silly. Maybe not as silly as uh, Wes Anderson would later get, like I said. Uh, especially in his next movie. Because um, Life Aquatic is just bananas. <laughs> um, uh, but I enjoy the wacky tones of his movies. Whether I like the rest of the movie or not. Whether it, uh, that... That was the end of that statement, i.e. Moonrise Kingdom. That has a wacky tone. Didn't enjoy it as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I appreciate the the heart his movies have, and this one definitely has that. Uh, possibly the most heart out of the five movies that I have seen of his. Yes, I would agree. And you kind of you kind of hit on that. Uh, it was a sweet movie with pitch-perfect performances all around. It got dark and serious when it needed to. I, I love the growth from the character. I'm a sucker for character development. Like that's one of the reasons why the Godfather is so great because he goes from like that's my family, that's not me to never ask me about my my fan or my business or yeah. I I uh, especially the titular character. I loved his character growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, they mostly start off as unlikable people and then they evolve into very likable people, which is probably a new thing where we have likable characters at the end of the movie. I don't think... No, I mean, everywhere, everything everywhere all at once has very likable characters throughout. Anyways, the needle drops were never out of sync with the movie, and I guess that's a pun. Uh, even with Vince Giraldi's Christmas Time is Here playing twice, the I appreciate the movie's subtlety, and nothing fell out of left... Nothing felt out of the left field. Uh, not that that's a bad thing in movies, but it would have I would have hated that in this one. Because um, I will talk about it in a second, but I saw some David Lynch movies, and those those are nothing but out of left field. I want to call this a masterpiece, but I would call Grand Budapest a masterpiece, which I'd probably give like a nine point five easily. Uh, the cinematography wasn't too flashy, but I like everything that else in the movie. Um, again, pitch perfect. That's probably gonna make my catchphrase. It tells the story so well with framing and movement, mm-hmm. uh, which you you mentioned i thought that was great uh same with the editing score production design costumes uh everything about this is great which is why i'm going to give it a score of 8.7 okay not as specific as you pretty close pretty close um really quick let's just talk about the themes of the movie yeah um obviously uh family Mm -hmm. redemption love and again, with the sins of the father and legacy, I, I'm sure our listeners are noticing a pattern here. Uh, I promise that's not why I picked this movie, but mm-hmm. um, obviously, sorry, uh, nostalgia again is a huge theme of the movie because, mm-hmm. like, if you look at the the children, like they wear the same outfits they wore when they were small. That's why I call them hipsters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then forgiveness is a huge one for this movie because basically everyone goes through some form of forgiveness in the Mm -hmm. movie uh do you have any trivia yeah i have i have some good trivia um i guess we'll start with um 
the fact that I've read this in several different spots, but apparently uh, Gene Hackman was heading towards the end of his career, as uh, Gaddy had mentioned earlier. So he wanted to do a quote unquote fun movie. Um, but I guess he wasn't used to the way that Wes Anderson works or how quickly they had to work. So he became um, generally a huge asshole. Um, he was hard to manage on set and it got to a point where um, he was kind of berating Wes Anderson. So Bill Murray would show up on his off days when he wasn't filming a scene to right. offer support. Um and it sucks because in the movie he's an asshole, but he's like likable. But I can yeah. totally imagine the real man, uh, Gene Hackman, being like a curmudgeon, like being like, like a like kind of like Harrison Ford. He seems yeah. like a really fucking grumpy, like always pissed off, like you know what I mean. I think that's just his his stage persona now with Harrison Ford. But I think it, with Gene Hackman, it probably helped out with the performances of the other characters or the other actors. Yeah. So. I'll read this one verbatim. Wes Anderson admitted in interviews that his one regret of his career thus far was that he could not make the experience more enjoyable for his lead, Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman had signed on knowing that he only had a few roles left in his career and wanted something quote-unquote fun for his last few movies. However, making the Royal Tenenbaums was proving quite grueling for Hackman, which came to a head when in the middle of filming and in front of the crew, Hackman shouted out, Hey Wes, you said this was supposed to be fun and relaxing for me. Well, I'm not having fun. Wes Anderson admitted that his this comment broke him and that he wished he could have done more for Hackman. So that's something that I read several in several different spots. And even like if you listen to the um, commentary on the Criterion edition of this movie, uh, Wes Anderson kind of talks about it, uh, obviously not calling him an asshole, but saying that it wasn't the easiest to work with him. Yeah. Um, one of the funny ones is about uh, Mordecai, the bird is he a falcon a hawk falcon maybe he's a falcon right. so the original hawk that was used to play mordecai was actually kidnapped by someone during the shooting um, and he was held for ransom if you can believe that uh so the production couldn't wait for him to be returned uh which is the reason why the movie mentions that uh mordecai looks different they had uh. to make it a point because the two hawks look different to each other so yeah that's uh interesting yeah i wonder how he was able to i wonder how much he was asking for for the bird this one's interesting gene wilder uh turned down the role of being royal tenenbaum due to his retirement which imagine how different this movie would be if he was in there which is crazy because his very first movie was bonnie and clyde with gene hackman yeah so on imdb there's a trivia thing um and it says uh, one of his signatures, Wes Anderson's signatures, is small animals injured or killed. <laughs> Similarly to other Anderson films such as Moonrise Kingdom, The Grand Budapest Hotel, and Fantastic yeah. Mr. Fox, The Life Aquatic, a small animal is either killed on or off screen, and harm comes to animals in the dogfighting scene, a seeming running gag in Anderson films, including uh, inducing black humor and harsh reality. I never really thought about that. Yeah, the so cat in if, Budapest. Yeah, doesn't the I think in Moonrise Kingdom a dog gets shot with, with a an beep, arrow? Yeah, or something. Something. Yeah. So, anyways, Wes Anderson, if you <laughs> don't like animals, then you can fuck off, and the score will go back, go down to a one, which I'm sure he'll care very much about. Killing animals isn't funny. No, it's not. Unless or they get thrown out by uh, Willem Dafoe, and you realize that it's uh, Jeff Goldblum's cat, Grand Budapest. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll leave it. 
we'll leave it to there. Um, so yeah, that's uh, the Royal Tenenbaums. Really, Go see it. really quick. Uh, one thing I think a great quote from this movie that's like a great summation of the whole thing is when uh, Royal is having ice cream. Well, they don't really have ice cream, but he orders ice cream for Margot. Um, and he says, can't someone be a shit their whole life and try to repair the damage? I think that's a great like uh, tagline for this movie. Yeah. I think it's perfect. Um, and also when uh, Eli is climbing out the window and Gene Hackman yells at him, I know you asshole. The little, he like waves at him. Like he, I don't know, uh, Owen Wilson like gives him. He lifts his arm up to say like hi, like he's waving to him because he obviously didn't hear him. But his wave and his face is so funny. Like I love that. I had to make a note of that. Um, and then Royal saying, "Lay it on me, man." When he first meets, uh, yeah. <laughs> he was so stupid and funny. Um, other than that, that's that's all I got. Um, yeah. Cool. So uh, what have you? We got to do this briefly. Yeah. But uh, what have you seen recently? Um, the last thing I saw was The Northman. I saw that yeah. um, the other day. And overall, it was good. Uh, I think I already texted you about this, but I saw it in Dolby Atmos. Yeah. Um, and Robert Eggers is someone, I think he shot everything on film. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very visually, like, all his movies are very, very visually interesting. Um, and it looked like shit. I think the Dolby Atmos, like digital projection and whatever, like I'm not gonna. Mean Dolby Vision. At- Atmos is it's the, the sound. audio. I don't know what is it. What do they? They have a screening like a Dolby Vision. If if, if it's if the look that looked bad, it's the Dolby Vision. Yeah, sure. Okay, it was a Dolby <laughs> Vision, and it looked like shit. Um, it made like I don't know how to explain it, but um, and I'm sure no one cares. But the presentation <laughs> was terrible, and it bummed me out. Um, it probably would have been better at like a like just a regular screening New for Beverly. it. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but overall, I liked it. I didn't love it. There were some issues that I had with it, but Skarsgård is, like, fucking fantastic in it, and his, like, physique is incredible in that movie. Like, whatever he did, he's, mm-hmm. like... I mean, he's, like, a wild animal. <laughs> um, so I enjoyed that. I definitely want to see that. Uh, my girlfriend and I, last Sunday, had a Andrew Garfield double feature because she, uh, she's into him. So we watched uh, Hacksaw Ridge, mm. which I thought was really good. Uh, it's like one of those movies that came out after Saving Private Ryan that were trying to copy the success of Saving Private Ryan that yeah. weren't as good as Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was a good movie to watch. It's you know, good performances. Good performances, but it looked like um, like a Lifetime movie. It looks like oh, the yeah. way visually it looks like a Lifetime movie. Yeah. With like softening filters and yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> uh, and then I saw we saw watched Under the Silver Silver Lake. Mm. Have you seen that one? No. It is it's a surreal. I don't know what I write down. It's a surreal hipster noir, and kind of like Brick, except Brick I isn't Brick. surreal. Yeah. Um, but that's a really good movie with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It takes place in modern uh, LA. I've heard that about Brick. Um, but the score sounds like a classic noir, which is really cool. Uh, it's a very accurate depiction of the pretentious hipster LA okay. that we love so much. Uh, <laughs> so would you recommend it for me to watch? Uh, yeah, I think will, I'll probably bring it up in the podcast someday. Okay. Um, I can see why people wouldn't like it, and I can see why people love it. 
So I'm curious to see what your opinion is once we get to it. Um, but I kind of loved it. And I thought the cinematography was great. And there's a scene where uh, he punches a kid and it's you, you want to stand up and applaud. But it makes sense <laughs> in the context of the movie. Um, and I was thinking, this is kind of like, it's, it's like Twin Peaks, but in L.A. Okay. And so I went, well, there's um, Mulholland Drive. And I've had that since November. So I'm going to go and watch that. And I did. And at first I wasn't liking it. And I was like, this looks like it was shot for TV, which it was supposed to be a TV show. And I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe they started filming it. No, they filmed the pilot and aired it back in 99. It didn't get picked up. And then he went, oh, I'm just going to remake it as a movie with the same exact actors all across the board. And once I got to the end, I was so confused. I had to look up an explanation. And then once I saw the explanation, I'm like, oh, okay, this movie's actually kind of great. <laughs> Sometimes uh, that's all it takes. And I'm sad because Robert Forrester was in it, but only for like two seconds. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. This, this is my, my my nitpick of Criterion. I don't understand why this movie was picked to be the very first 4K release. Because there are so many better looking movies. Mm-hmm. Like Citizen Kane would have made the most sense because that was their very first Laserdisc. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I finally also finished Eraserhead. And that movie... I could I can go my entire life with never watching that again because it took a few v- sit downs to actually get through it. Which the only other time I can really think of doing that with the movie was Alien Three. Oh wow! Yeah, then the show Barry's back on HBO, which is exciting. Uh, I hate that they're only thirty minute episodes, but uh, it's back. And I've been watching clips of the Johnny Depp trial. Oh yeah, <laughs> and he said, and apparently uh, Amber heard shit on his bed, which is funny because that's what we said with the the Tyler podcast. Yeah. So, speaking of guests, we might have our friend Oscar on the next episode. Mentioned it. The next episode where we watch a movie, which might be the next one, might be the one after that, is uh, is the homework that I'm about to reveal. To reveal, me. Uh, there are four movies that Robert Roger Ebert has done an audio commentary for. Mm-hmm. One is Beyond the Valley of the, of the Dolls. Dolls. I will said Pine uh, because he wrote it. Uh, the other three are that he thought were so great, it was worth his time and effort to study the films and sit down and record a movie for the movie's duration. One is Citizen Kane, one is Casablanca, and the next is uh, next week or two weeks from now's topic uh, from the director of such classics as The Crow and iRobot and Garbage Like Knowing, starring Nicolas Cage and Gods of Egypt. Uh, also written by Alex Pro, uh, yeah, I, Proyas, yeah, Proyas, probably. Proyas. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, and with a screen reading writing credit from David S. Goyer, uh, it's like The Matrix, but a year before The Matrix, it's the underrated 1998 science fiction thriller Dark City. I bought this movie for you like a decade ago. I don't know if you've seen it. I didn't want to ask because I didn't want to spoil the, the fact that it's being brought up. Do you still own it? I, I still own it. It's still in the shrink wrap. <laughs> <laughs> well, not for long. So yeah, that's, I'm glad I have it. That's your assignment. I love this movie, and we'll talk about why in the next episode that we uh, talk about a specific movie. Um, other than that, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for following us on all the different social medias. Uh, thank you for reviewing on apple podcast i need to check the other ones like so we have spotify apple podcast google podcast amazon and audible pandora iHeartRadio, and stitcher i need to go through those and see 
if anybody's left any reviews on those. You can follow us on social media at, at Cinephilia Podcast on Instagram or uh, on Twitter and TikTok at Cinephilia Pod. Uh, I have a YouTube channel, The EOE Podcasts which has just Disneyland videos right now, but it'll eventually have, and I keep promising it eventually have videos that, that have to do with this podcast. I'm on Letterboxd, eye-opening EXP. So E-Y-E-O-P-E-N-I-N-G EXP. Um, and mine is just basically all I do is Instagram. Um, so it's just all one word as the sun sets. Um, I'm on Letterboxd as well, I think under the same thing, but yeah. I haven't gotten around to updating anything new on there but yes uh thank you for listening very much hope you enjoyed this episode and enjoyed yes. the movie as much as we did um if you can please uh you don't even have to leave us a review although we love reading them so mm -hmm. if you have it in you please write one uh if not just give us five stars and we'll be your best friends <laughs> thank you for listening be your best friend uh if you want to send us any kind of feedback personally we have uh cinephilia pod at gmail.com as our emails but other than that thank you guys very much for listening and uh check back next week for either dark city or for our friend oscar bye okay was in a rush bye that i forgot to do and Hey, lay it on me, man. How do you do?